Lord, we give ourselves over, we give our hearts up to be captured again. And I uh, pray that you'd speak to us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, let's thank Pastor Chad and the band for leading us in worship this morning. Thanks, you guys. I love seeing a, a multi-generational worship team up here. It's awesome to see the young people and, and uh, older, older, more wise, gift, gifted, more, more rehearsals under your belt kind of people. There's so much going on here at the church, and I want to I continue my thanks uh, with several people. Arlene Lusak uh, has come in graciously and helped uh, do a little decor, uh, and we're thankful for that, um, the little pumpkins and things like that, just a little touch of something, so I'm really appreciative for her. Um, and to Jeff Reddick and uh, Pat Garrett and Ron Brookman, who have helped put in uh, new lights, so I am, I am under new lights. Last service, I was a little bright, and I got a tan, so they lowered them this service, so um, it's good. And... Um, I want to thank, thank you, the congregation. Uh, Pastor Appreciation has been awesome, and I really uh, feel appreciated, and I want to thank you for, for all that you've done in the notes and cards and things like that. And uh, We were looking at this table, and uh, someone pointed out to me, the table that's in the back with the little baskets and our pictures on it, says in the front, in remembrance of me. It's a communion table, and it's meant to be in front, and it's in remembrance of Christ, but when you look at that table, I was looking at it, and she pointed out to me, that it looks like someone has passed away and we have the pictures of those who have passed and, and, and I'm, I'm still alive, I'm here. Uh, but uh, but uh, the candles don't help either. But uh, it, it was just really, it's really nice and I'm very appreciative for that, so thank you. Also want to thank uh, Janet Nungester and Mary Collins this week. Um, I, I started something new and different uh, in my message preparation. I, I'm calling it Study Buddies. I basically asked them to uh, help research and uh, find some information on the topic that I'm going to be preaching on today, and so they graciously handed me packet after packet after packet, and, uh, and it was awesome just how, the amount of uh, time that I gave them, which was, I think, less than 24 hours, and all of a sudden I had a flood of information. It was awesome. And there are two of our librarians uh, here at the church, and, uh, and they help out in the library, and most of you are saying, what library? There is a library right, right around the corner here, and it's an awesome resource if you ever need anything for you or your kids uh, want to read anything. Um, just head in there and take a moment to spend time in there. But, um, but yeah, I love superheroes. Anyone else love superheroes? I mean, all these movies coming out, super, I mean, I love it, the fantasy of them, the, the, the superhero powers, you know, all the, all the different kinds of superheroes and all the different powers and, 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 you know, Thor and his strength, and that was awesome, and he had his hammer, and uh, um, uh, I watched Captain America uh, this last week on DVD, um, and uh, it was just, it was just, Fun and exciting when you think about all these superheroes and all their powers that they get um, in different ways, you know, some naturally, you know, um, and some have, you know, like things against them, or they always have an arch rival, but they always have, you know, like Superman has kryptonite, and, and it's kind of like, ooh, there's kryptonite, and it can take him down, but he always seems to get through it, and, uh, but none of the superheroes you ever see have scars, like, there's no real, like, you know, Superman, you know, bullets bounce off of him, right, like, they don't, like, leave marks or anything like that. Um, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of scars um, throughout my life. And the cool thing about scars is that scars have stories that go along with them, right? Anyone? Yeah? From surgery, you're like, oh, or, or it's like, yeah, I had surgery on my knee, but it was an amazing, like, football, you know, I got taken out, but I scored the winning touchdown, and 
you know, I hobbled around and you know, threw the winning pass or made the open, you know, shot. Or, or then there are like the really dumb stories like I got up in the middle of the night and was walking around and no lights on and I kicked the, you know, whatever with my shin and, and busted it open and had to go to the hospital in the middle of the night to get stitches or whatever. There's always some stories that go along with scars. And as we look at, at scripture, I think about that idea of scars and the different stories that go along with the scars because not only do we face physical scars, but we also receive throughout life emotional scars, spiritual scars, and more physical scars. And hopefully as we progress through life, our scars become less because we're getting less accident prone like our little kids. But I remember when I was a little kid, wanting to be a superhero, um, I, I loved... Uh, Superman and uh, and would run around and uh, and I also I, I I had the pajamas you know the pajamas the Superman with the cape and everything right right I don't think the capes allowed anymore because it's like a choking hazard because I don't know something some person somewhere I, I don't know something happened and so uh, we have we have me running around when I was like one or two and uh, I wanted to fly and there was a beach ball of course beach balls are fun because they you know roll and and I go and I jump and I dive on it. And I dive and it roll, I roll right over the top of it into, of course, something, a TV. And many of you are like, oh, it's just a TV, not a big deal. No, I'm talking about back in the day, the piece of furniture that you would buy, the TV, like the television, right? I mean, this thing was a thousand pounds. It was just a, a piece. It was like, you know, you had to get like, you know, drapes for it or something. I don't know. You had to, you had to like doilies at least, something. I don't know. Something went on it. Plants. But I hit the corner of it right here on the corner of my head, on the front of my head, forehead, that's what it's called, uh, and, uh, and cracked it open and had to go to the, uh, the emergency room or the Westlake Urgent Care or whatever that you, the hospital that used to be there that's now not and who knows what it is now. Um, and then uh, I just, I, the scars have stories, right? And so also we have uh, an airsoft ministry here. At ABF, if you don't know, airsoft is like the BB guns, right? Except they're, they're plastic pellets. You see all the BBs around. They're prayer pellets, we like to call them, because it asks you to pray for them and us as we, as we minister. But we had this last week, we had 90 people here. Um, and it was awesome, yeah. It was amazing. Uh, and Bill Heatley brought the message, and everyone got to hear the word. And, uh, and it was just amazing. But at the same time, we have these, war, you know, these, these raids and stuff like that and these battles and, and I got shot in the head right here next to that scar and I have another scar now uh, but it's a memory because it's, it was one of my high school students now and he's sitting there laughing right now uh, because he knows he shot me and, uh, and got me really good um, but, uh, but yeah I have a scar there but as you look at scripture we see as, as different characters go through their lives they suffer scars. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of Samson. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I've read the story of Samson. You know, I've had the flannel board in Sunday school. I, I've read through the story. But as I was going through it, and I, I was thinking about it a certain way as I was preparing for this message, and I thought, okay, this is how I'm going to go with it. And then all of a sudden, I started reading it. And I thought to myself, have I ever read this story before? Because I do not understand this. Why this is in Scripture. Why this... Man is here. And so, I, I, as I started looking at it, I thought about his life and the stories that, that he had to tell. And I thought about the scars that he faced 
as well. And so if you open up in your Bibles to Judges chapter 13, we're going we're gonna to fly through his entire life as it's recorded in four chapters of the Word. Judges 13 through 16 we're going to look at this morning. And I think about these superheroes, and I think about uh, all these judges, and you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and it's the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith is this list from Abel to Enoch to Noah to Abraham to Moses. And then at the very end in verse 32, it says, and I can't even go into detail about all these others, and it goes on to talk about Barak and Jephthah and Samson is listed here in the Hall of Faith. And as I thought about the Hall of Faith and thought about these superheroes that are in the Bible and in the Hall of Faith, I wanted to look at Samson and see what did, what did God, how did God use him? How did God use Samson? The birth of Samson is a very unique story. His father's name was Manoah, and his mom's name was Manoah's wife. That's how it's recorded in Scripture. Manoah's wife. And Manoah and Manoah's wife, they couldn't have children. And God sent an angel to them one day and uh, talked to Manoah's wife and said, you are going to have a son. But he is going to be a Nazarite. He is going to be dedicated to the Lord. He's not, and you are not as a mother, to drink anything or eat anything of the vine. You're not supposed to eat anything unclean. You're not supposed to shave his head. And you're not supposed to allow any fermented drink to pass through his lips. Keep him pure. Keep him separated. He is dedicated to the Lord. And Manoah's wife goes to Manoah, her husband, and says, an angel of the Lord came to me and said that I'm going to have a son and this is all the detail. And she goes into detail through Manoah and as a good husband says, let's pray that God sends him back and tells us how to raise him. And, and she's just given all the detail. We can't cut his hair. We can't have him drink wine. We've got to keep him separated. It's, this is how we're going to do it. And so Manoah and his wife pray. And God sends an angel one day when she's out in the field to her again. And so she goes running to her husband, grabs Manoah. Manoah runs back out, and he goes up to the angel and says, Are you the one that spoke to my wife the other day? And he says, I am. And then Manoah says, So tell me, how are we supposed to raise this child? What's the rules that we are supposed to govern this child's life? And the angel repeats exactly what he told his wife the day before. And repeats it. And Manoah's like, Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. It's the exact same thing. It's just really interesting. He didn't get it from his wife, but he had to hear it from the angel. And he doesn't realize that it's an angel yet. But he says, hey, will you come and eat with us? We're going to want to prepare a young goat for you. We're really excited that you're a man of God. And he says, I'll stay with you, but I'm not going to eat with you. If you want to take that goat and sacrifice it to the Lord, do that. So Manoah and his wife sacrifice that young goat to the Lord. And the flames, it says, rise up. And it says that at that moment, God did something special that that angel went into the flames and shot up to heaven with, be with God. And at that moment, Manoah realized that it was an angel that had been with him. And both he and his wife fall to, the, their, fall to their faces. And Manoah cries out, He's going to kill us! And his wife's like, No, he's not. If he, if he didn't accept the sacrifice, he would have. But he accepted the sacrifice, so get up. Stop it. And then we come to the end of chapter 13. In verse 24, it says this, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahana Dan between Zorah and Eshtiel. 
So we have this boy, Samson. He's been born, and he's being raised by his parents. But oftentimes, as we go through life, we face and we receive scars in our life, just like I have physical scars. We receive spiritual scars. We receive physical scars. We receive emotional scars all throughout our life. And this morning, I want to look at uh, five of the scars that impacted Samson's life. And the first one is this. It's the scar of temptation. You see, God was with him, blessing him, raising him up, moving him in the city. And all of a sudden, 14 verse 1, it says this. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Okay? The New Living Translation says, He went down to Timnah and a Philistine woman caught his eye. Basically, it's the idea, squirrel! And he sees this, this woman and he goes, she's gorgeous. She is hot. I like her. Now, the Philistines were completely separate people. They were the people that were oppressing the Israelites at this time. And in his raising by his parents, his parents were told, keep him separate, keep him pure, keep him clean. He's to marry, if he wants to marry someone, inside the Israelite clan, not outside in the pagan Philistines. But the first thing he does, he has a scar of temptation. This temptation hits him, and it impacts his life forever. And you're going to see it over and over again, this scar keep repeating itself over and over. 14.1, he says, I have seen a Philistine, I'm sorry, verse 2, he says, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His mother and father replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson says to his father, I want her, I want her, I want her. Get her for me now. You know, like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka, yeah? You know? That, he's just being a childish little kid saying, Get her for me, get her for me. And his parents decide, Okay, fine. Parents turn away and give in to what the child wants. Verse 5 says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. I've never torn a young goat, but... Scripture says it was as easy as tearing the young goat. But it's really easy, I guess. I mean, I can go ask my neighbors, I guess. They have goats. But what, is it, what does it take? If I was ever attacked by a goat. No, I'm just joking. Um, verse 7. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. So he continues on. He continues going through with this marriage. And he goes and he starts getting to know her. And his parents and her parents get together, and they make an arrangement. But on the way, he kills this lion, but he doesn't tell his parents. He kills this lion and leaves it on the side of the road. A little while later, it continues on. Kind of going to summarize here. It says, Father and mother, Samson, go down for the wedding. Now, a wedding back then was a seven-day-long feast. It was a party. It was the biggest party around. Everyone in the whole town or village was invited I mean, we had hundreds of people coming, and, and it, was a, it was a massive week-long party. And on their way down, it says that Samson got curious and went off and looked for that lion carcass that, that he had killed. And it says that inside there, 
were a swarm of bees and some honey. Now, I can't think about the physical scars that he actually received by trying to get us, but it says that he goes in and grabs some honey, which was against the, the Nazarite law, the, the Israel law, to go touch a dead body. It made him unclean. And it says that he took some of the honey, he ate it, and he gave some to his parents, but he didn't tell them where it was from. So not only did he make himself unclean by touching this dead carcass, but he goes and he makes his parents unclean as well as they go and they create this marriage, this pact, this relationship that's forming. And it goes down and it says that when he gets and shows up at the wedding, he didn't have a lot of people with him, a lot of his friends. So the father-in-law sets him up with 30 of, of the Philistine men to be his companions, to be his entourage, to be his, his court of honor, or whatever they call it, maid of honor, and her bridesmaids, and it was his groomsmen, basically. And there were 30 of them. And so it says they're at the feast, and they're partying, and he starts with this riddle, and he gives them a riddle. And it says, hey, if you can guess the answer by the end of the seven-day feast, I'll give you 30 pieces of new clothing. You'll have 30 new outfits. Basically, I'll go to Gap and I'll go, or wherever we go, Nordstrom, and get 30 new outfits for you. But if you don't get it by the end and they answer it correctly, you have to go out and get me 30 outfits, some new threads. So they go, okay, fine. And all of a sudden, they go to Samson's now wife and threaten her. If you don't get your husband to tell us the answer, we're going to burn down your house. We're going to kill your parents. We're going to destroy everything you have. And so she goes to Samson and begins to nag him for the answer. Begins to beg him. Begins to cry. And it says that she cried for seven days straight during that feast. The feast. The party. The big wedding. She cries throughout the whole thing. And he goes and he finally says, because of her nagging, he gives in and gives her the answer. And she goes to those men, and the men come back to him and say, this is the answer. It's, it's all about the lion, and it's all about the honey that you got out there. We know the answer. And so Samson, it says, goes down and kills 30 men from Ashkel. Kills 30 men, takes their clothing, and brings them back and gives them to them. And then it says that he leaves there in a rage and goes back to his father's house. And then we get... To verse 20 of chapter 14. And Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. So he leaves his wife behind. And the father of the bride, seeing that his daughter has been disgraced by her husband leaving and not wanting her and not taking her with him, gives her away the next week or sometime very soon to his friend that he had brought with him. So now she's no longer married to him. She's married to his friend. Verse 15 starts with the next and the continuation. Of this. Is this story getting to anyone? I mean, do you see the impact that Samson, Samson's got this huge scar in his life, right? He's dealing with temptation. He's been trapped in it. And now he's dealing with the consequences. And he thought he could get something. And he thought he could have this riddle solved. And he would get all this glory. And he would all get all this new clothes and, and things like that. But all of a sudden... 
the scar hits and it keeps building up and you see it getting hit over and over and over again. Later on, at verse 1 of 15 says, Later on at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He thought he was married still, but he hadn't lived with her for at least later on, it says right there. I don't know how long that is. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. Verse 2, I was so sure you thoroughly hated her, he said, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Right? So now he's bargaining. Now the dad's like, well, I've already given her away. I thought you didn't want her. And you're back. I didn't think I'd ever see you again. Sorry for that. But hey, here's her younger sister. Do you want her? Because your parents and me, we've already made a deal. Goats have been traded. Camels have been traded. Whatever it was. Do you want her younger sister? Same price. And then in verse 3, you see the scar of revenge show up in Samson's life. Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes. I don't know how you do that. But if he's you know, killing 30 people and taking their clothes, I'm assuming he can catch 30 foxes. So, catches 30 foxes. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. He destroys all of their crops of this, this town. Absolutely wipes them out. Verse 6, when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told, Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to a friend. So the truth comes out. And see what the Philistines do. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Verse 7, the scar of revenge shows up again. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. Have you ever had someone do something that got you really angry? Have you ever had a coworker stab you in the back? Have you ever had someone hurt you so bad that you wanted to get payback? This is the scar that Samson dealt with. And it says he goes out and he wipes them out. He wipes out their crops first. And then when they get revenge, he then goes out and kills them too. The scar of temptation and the scar of revenge are two that impact our culture today. You see it on a big broad scale in the sense of civil wars and wars around the world. You see this idea of revenge, of getting back. You see it in the news recently with the, the killing of Osama bin Laden, we killed them and then all of a sudden our helicopter was shot down and 36 soldiers were killed. And the reason they said was because those were the same SEALs or some of them were that killed Osama bin Laden. It was a revenge act. You see it in our world today in coworkers, emails that are sent. You see it between spouses the idea of revenge. You're not going to do that for me, so I'm not going to do this for you. It can start really small, and it seems like a really, not a big deal. 
but it grows and grows. And as you see, it's grown exponentially in Samson's life, and it will continue to grow and be a scar that he faces in his death at the end. The scar of revenge. As he's hiding out there, he goes out into the cave, and you see the next scar in his life, and it's the scar of betrayal. As he's hiding there, the Philistines head up to the local Israelite town. And they say, hey, we're going to destroy you. And the Israelites are like, what are you doing? What's going on? Why are you doing this? And they say, because of what Samson did to us and to our crops. And so the Israelites go out and they're like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just, just wait a second. And 3,000 of them go out and they go to this cave that Samson is hiding in. And they tell Samson, Samson, hey, come out. We've got to give you over to the, the Philistines. They're going to kill us. They're going to wipe us out. We can't have them do that. I mean, Samson was betrayed by his own people. The people that should have gone out and fought for him are now coming to take him and either kill him. And so he says to them, what are you going to do with me? And they say, well, we'll tie you up and we'll give you over to the Philistines. And he says, but you won't kill me, right? No, 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 we won't kill you. We'll just tie you up and we'll hand you over to them because they can do what they want with you. We won't have any part of it. So at least they're being nice in their betrayal. They're not actually going to do the killing, but they're going to hand him over to be betrayed. And so they tie him up. It says with new cords, they tie him up. And they take him to the Philistines. And it says when he got to the Philistines, the cords he ripped apart like they were threads. And he grabbed the jawbone of a donkey. And he kills a thousand of them that day. Just decimates them. And they go running away. And we see in verse 16, then Samson said, and this is, this is like a junior hire's best, best verse right here. Because if you think about the New King James, it makes it even more fun. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Okay? He's just made them look foolish. And we all know what I'm talking about, right? He's just made them look foolish. I was contemplating. I'm like, ah, Roland's gone. Can I say it from stage? Nah, I'm not. I'm not. I decided against it. But that's what Scripture says. He's made them look foolish. And then the next passage discusses how he was upset. And he cries out to God, Oh God, you've given your servant such a great victory today, but now I'm dying of thirst. Are you going to leave me out here to die? And it reminds me, of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. He just killed a thousand men with just a donkey bone, right? Jawbone. And now he's crying out, oh, I'm going to die of thirst. And it says that God caused a pool to form, and he drank it. And it says when he drank, his strength came back to him, and he was revived. But he was betrayed by his people. How many of us have been betrayed by family, by friends? How many of us have felt the pain of a knife sticking in our back from someone that we care about? This is the pain that I see that Samson went through. Next we see the scar of lust. Samson was no longer married. His wife has now been killed, but 
He's still a man and he's going, you know what? Well, I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm just going to go out and find a prostitute. And in 16 verse 1, it says that one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The scar of lust. The scar of self-gratification. The scar of, I want it now. Self-gratification. The scar of seeking what I want above what anyone else wants. So the people of Gaza were told that Samson is here. And so they surround his house and say, hey, we'll capture him in the morning. We'll wait till morning. And when he comes out, we'll destroy him. But Samson says that he only laid there till midnight. And then he got up and he went out and he grabbed the gates the doors to their gates of their city. And he says he ripped them off the hinges. And all it says here is that he carried it up. Okay, in verse 3 it says, He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Scholars say that he actually carried it 40 miles. Okay, we think, oh, he just carried it up this little hill, you know, a gate, sure. No, he carried this gate, and it's a massive gate. It protected the city. It was their last line of defense. It protected them. And he rips it off, and he carries it 40 miles and sticks it up on this hill. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's like superhero stuff, but then I'm like, oh, he was just sleeping with a prostitute. And he's doing this. It doesn't make, God, how are you using this guy? This doesn't make sense. And then we all know the story of Samson and Delilah. And here we see the scar of exasperation. His first wife had whined and nagged until he told him the answer to the riddle. Now the Philistines come to Delilah, who's now his wife, and says, tell us. Tell us what is... What makes Samson so strong? And if you can get that answer for us, we'll give you all 1,100 shekels of silver. We'll give you a lot of money. We'll make you wealthy beyond belief. And so she goes and she begins asking Samson. Now Samson, having learned his lesson from his last wife, begins sharing falsities, sharing lies. Yeah, if you tie me up with new cords... Seven of them. That'll do it. And I don't know how she got him to sleep and then wrap him up with seven cords, but all of a sudden she yells, the Philistines are upon you! And he stands up and rips them apart. I mean, I'm a light sleeper, but I mean, this guy must have been really asleep. And she goes on and on and on and does the same thing, and every time she comes back, and you lied to me, Samson, you lied to me. And in verse 16, you get the last straw is struck. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Do we know anyone that nags us? Makes us tired? I just saw a couple elbows go up. I saw that. I saw that. You know who you are. He was tired to death. So he told her everything. He gives over the answer because he's tired of nagging. Because he's chosen poorly, 
outside of what God wanted in a wife of the Philistines, he gives in to the scar of exasperation. When you're so tired, you don't feel like you can persevere any longer. You don't feel like you can do anything right. You get to that place. I'm done. I'm done. Here you go. I'll give in, finally. I'm tired of fighting the good fight. I'm tired of putting up with it. Here you go. How many of us have dealt with that scar of exasperation? Where we've been fighting, we've been doing right, we've been going. And all of a sudden, I'm just so tired of it, God. I just want to give in. I'm done. Philistines come in and wipe him out. It says they capture him, they gouge out his eyes, they shackle him with bronze shackles. And they set him to grinding in the prison. He had been captured, he'd been taken over. He's done. And so the rulers of the Philistines decide to have a party that this guy that had destroyed thousands of people, at least over a thousand, decides this is the moment to throw a party. Let's throw a party. Let's have everyone gather together in the temple of Dagon, their, their god. We'll drink. We'll have a party. It'll be awesome. And you know what? While they were there, Samson experiences his final Scar, it's the scar of shame. Verse 25 of 16 says this, While they were in high spirits, the Philistines shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. I don't know what a blind guy could perform, but they made him do things in shame. Continues on, says, When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servants who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O Sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. As I was studying this week, this was the verse that hit me the most. Samson's at his lowest place. And oftentimes, as a pastor, you say, well, you know, if you're, if you're on the bottom, there's only one way to look, and that's up. If you're at your lowest point, there's no other place to look than up to God, and that's what we need to restore. And that's what I thought leading up to this was in my mind of all the Sunday school stories I'd ever heard was the story of Samson, is that in the end, Samson turns back to God. And God gives him a great victory. 
But as I read this, he uses the name of God, but he uses three separate names. It says that he prayed to Yahweh. And then he uses the word Adonai, meaning Sovereign Lord, Almighty One. Remember me, Elohim, O God. He uses three different names for God. And I don't know about you, if you've ever been at a place like that, but I know for me, I've been at the place where it's like, I'm calling out every name of God that I can think of. Going, God, will you act on my behalf? As if by some magic, I can like figure out the right combination of words to say that will get him to act on my behalf. And he's at his lowest place, in his lowest moment, and we see those, he's crying out for God, and we all go, yes, he's crying out to God, he's turning back to God, but then he continues his prayer. It says, God, grant me strength one last time so that I can get revenge on these people from my eyes. Oh! Once again, the scar of revenge comes up in his life. And he's seeking God to do something for him. And as I've looked at the scriptures, I go, God, there's nothing good in this guy. He kills, he pushes those pillars, and it says that the, the temple falls down and over 3,000 people were killed, and more people died in that one day, in that act that kills himself, than at any other time in his life. And it says that he ruled over Israel for 20 years as judge. And I go, this guy is nothing but someone who has fallen into sin after sin after sin after sin. God, why did you use Samson? Why would you use this guy? Why wouldn't you use someone who grew up with parents that taught him the right way and who did what was right and who did and found a wife in his clan and who went out and judged correctly and went out and fought and led his people and was not betrayed by his own people but actually followed you and his people followed him and God why are you using this guy St. Augustine's comments about Samson are in Latin it says narrata non laudata it is narrated not praised we should read this story not in any sense as models to be imitated but as forms of behavior we should avoid. And I go, okay, fine. God, we'll, we'll, avoid, we'll avoid this stuff. We'll, we'll get, get away from this stuff. And, and yeah, God, we won't lust and we won't be temp tempted by anything. And we won't seek revenge. And these are all things that I'm going to give as application points this week. And then God led me to a verse. On Tuesday morning, Isaiah chapter 55. And I want you to turn there. says this, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my ways are higher than your ways, and so your thoughts are lower than my thoughts, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How much higher are the heavens than the earth? 
Infinite, right? Infinitely higher. God's ways and his thoughts are infinitely higher than our ways and our thoughts. We think about putting God in a box. God doesn't even have the word box in his vocabulary. He's so far out there. He's so much higher, so much more powerful, so much bigger, so much greater and grander than anything we could ever think of. He is so much bigger. We go back and we look at Judges 13 verse 1. It says that, and then the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God allowed them to be oppressed by the Philistines. God, I don't understand that. Why would you do it? My ways are higher than your ways, John. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You look at 14.4 and his desire to get married to a Philistine woman. You go, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing him to disobey you like this? Stop him. Samson was not of a mind to go to battle against the Philistines on his own for spiritual reasons. Consequently, to arouse him to do battle with the Philistines, God used Samson's own self-interests to incite his anger against the Philistines and to bring about the deliverance of Israel from oppression God sometimes, and this is a freebie for all of you and something we really need to think about, God sometimes uses evil people for His good and His purposes. Just like God used Samson. And it led me back. And you can continue going through 14 verse 19. It talks about how God empowered Samson. 15 verse 14 and 15 verse 19, God gave him strength and empowered him to do these things. And I go, your ways are higher than my ways, God. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God, if I was to do this, this would not be the way I would do it. But God, you use this guy. And then all of a sudden, after reading Isaiah 55, he took me back to Hebrews chapter 11. He had me go through the hall of faith again and go through these people. You have Abel, who was betrayed by his brother, was killed, murdered. You have Enoch, who was not talked much about other than he followed God and then all of a sudden didn't, didn't exist anymore. He's in there. And then you have Noah. Then you have Abraham. Then you have Isaac and Jacob. Then you have Joseph. You have Moses. You have Rahab the prostitute. And then you have Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And I thought to myself, if God can use someone who was betrayed by his own brother, a drunkard, a liar, a bad and horrible father, a deceiver and liar, an ex-convict, a murderer, a prostitute, a coward, an arrogant punk, a gambler, and an adulterer, 
He can use me in all of my brokenness. And he can use you in all of yours as well. His ways are higher than our ways. And oftentimes people are put in our lives for a reason. And God's using them to shape us to be more like him. And to call us out of the norm here, but to call us to something higher and greater beyond anything we could ever imagine. That's what God's calling us to. And God's using us in our brokenness to accomplish the task for him. Let's pray. God, thank you for using us in our brokenness. God, thank you for using Samson and all of his flaws and all of his scars that he built up over the years. God, I thank you for using him. I thank you for using him to impact my life this week. God, I pray that his life would continue to be impactful. That God used him in spite of his downfalls. That you have such a bigger, greater, more magnificent plan. And God, all you ask is for all of us. All that we are. God, may you Purify us this morning. Help us to conquer those scars that are in our life. But God, more importantly, may you use those scars to bring more glory to yourself. May you be glorified. May you be honored. May you create a clean heart in us, God, so that we don't have to go through the same pain that Samson went through. But God, in spite of the pain that we go through, may you be magnified. Amen. Scripture says in Romans 8, 28, for all things work for the good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. As you leave here today, tell someone God's going to use you whether you like it or not. Have a great week.